So, when five kids walk into a classroom for detention and only four of them walk out, that is obviously going to be the start of an amazing book plot. Uh, One of Us is Lying by Karen M. McCanus follows Brownwyn, Cooper, Addie, and Nate as they deal with being suspects in the case of the murder of Simon, who was the fifth kid in detention. And this book has been on my TBR since it came out three years ago in 2017. And I finally got around to reading it, and I'm very excited to talk about it because it has been a long time coming. And it surprised me because as well as having, like, a strong murder mystery plot, it had some pretty solid romance plots, and, like, I was totally here for that. Books, TV, music, and movies. All things that make a big impact on everyone. I'm constantly gushing about my latest read to anyone who will listen, so I figured I'd turn my rambling into something coherent that people actually listen to, which means no tuning out halfway through. I'm Maya Ghosh, and this is my take. As always with the book, we are going to start with a little bit on the writing, and the writing in this book was good but not great. It was just standard book writing, and I don't actually have a ton to say about it, so this writing section is going to be very short, and we are just going to dive in, and I didn't entirely know how to organize this because there's like a lot of shit that goes on in this book, so I made a character chart to keep everything straight in my head um, like I did with we are the wildcats just because there's so many main characters like it was very easy to get lost so I like made a chart in my notes and like wrote down character things um and my dumbass made a character section for Simon who died and like I wasn't thinking anyways um but I think we're gonna start by talking about the characters and then anything we miss about like the overarching plot we will talk about after so beginning with Bronwyn who is the typical nerd girl character, and she's a Yale legacy, and we find out that her deep dark secret that Simon was holding over her was that she stole old Tess to pass chem and to get into Yale. And initially, when they said that she stole Tess, I was a little bit sad because I thought it would be something really shady, like sleeping with her teacher. So I was a little bit disappointed at first, but then as we got to know her, I really liked Bronwyn, like, out of all the characters, she might have been my favorite, and so I was happy that it wasn't something as damning as sleeping with the teacher, and it was, like, I mean, I say just stealing old tests, and that's relative to, like, all the shit that happens in this book, right, but, like, I was glad it wasn't something that was gonna, like, ruin her whole career, you know, um, and then her family life is kind of difficult, right, like, it sucks that her little sister Maeve has cancer, um, but I like that we see Maeve a lot in this book because the sequel is about Maeve, and, like, I'm not gonna read the sequel, but it's, if I was gonna read the sequel, I appreciate that if it's not gonna be about our main cast of characters, it's gonna be about at least, like, one character that we have known and loved in the first book, um, and then we love at the very end when Yale tweets at Brownwyn and is like, we look forward to receiving your application and basically saying that they don't care that she still tests and like that's being human. And like, 
it was just, I was so happy for her in that moment. Um, and then her and Nate were actually adorable and I fucking loved their relationship so much. Like this book was a romance first and a murder mystery second and nobody can change my mind about that. So we are going to start talking about her and Nate and the fact that she had a crush on him in elementary school and then after the incident with Simon, they're just drinking in the parking lot and we had the whole stereotypical thing of like, no way am I getting on your motorcycle, but then a bit later she does get on his motorcycle and she gets on and he gives her his helmet, which like is cute once or twice, but keeps happening throughout the book and it's a little maddening that he doesn't just get a second helmet or Bronwyn doesn't just buy herself a helmet to say, like give to Nate and be like, just keep this for whenever I need rides home because safety first and both y'all need a helmet. But it was cute when he did it the first time. And then she's like holding on to him too tight, but he doesn't care. And like, it's such a cliche, but like, I don't know why the like getting on the motorcycle cliche is one of my favorites. And like, I haven't seen it in so long. I don't know. It just, like, I loved it. (laughs) And then, after this, we see Bronwyn say hi to Nate in the hallway the next day, which we love. And then Nate grabs her hand under the desk in the principal's office when they're being kind of interrogated to comfort her because she's freaking out. And then Nate just shows up at her house, and Bronwyn starts playing the piano for him after he comes inside. And I love that Maeve is, like, pushing her to show off and being like, look how cool my sister is. She plays the piano. She does all this stuff. Like, I am Maeve in that situation, pushing them to be together. Um, And then Nate shows up again and is turned away by Bronwyn's dad, which I don't blame Bronwyn's dad, right? With all the shit that's going on, like, that is a problem you don't need. But I do feel bad for Nate and Bronwyn because it's, like, not their fault and, like, they're both innocent and, like it was just a difficult situation, you know? And, like, it was around this time where I started realizing that if it was Nate or Bronwyn um, who, like, actually ended up killing Simon, I would have screamed because their relationship was too cute to, like, have one of them be a murderer, you know? Like, it just wasn't going to work out that way. Um, And then Bronwyn and Nate in the stairway after this and Nate apologizes for stealing baby Jesus in like fifth grade or something and he gives her the burner phone and then they have their first phone call which is adorable and she like admits that she had a crush on him in the past and then I was so mad because he answers the text from the random chick and goes and hooks up with somebody else which like fuck you Nate you don't get to do that um but then the phone calls start like becoming more regular and they evolve into watching movies on the phone and Nate stops picking up the text from random chicks and Nate invites her over because she's too freaked out at the horror movie and she declines and again he doesn't hook up with someone else which like I was kind of sad she declined but also like I would not sneak out of my house just to go finish watching a horror movie with somebody to then have to sneak back into my house like I understand why she declined but I was like no you have to be together like why are you declining this um and then Nate has to give her another burner because they talk on the phone too much that they use up all the minutes and he drives her out of the back of school to avoid all the news reporters and then they almost kiss in the mall parking lot and they don't and I was so mad I was like why can't you guys just kiss already and then she finds out that he downloaded the song that she played for him on the piano 
And she finally kissed him on the cheek after their fight about going to the lawyer. Um, and then later on, we go to Marshall's Peak, and they finally do actually kiss, and it was glorious and amazing, and I loved it. And, like, yes, I was so happy when they finally kissed. And then we go back to Nate's house, and surprise, his mom isn't dead, which was a whole ass mess. And we will talk about that more in Nate's section. Um... And then after he finds out his mom is not dead, he drives around aimlessly and goes to the party. But we love him because he doesn't actually do anything with the chicks at the party. He then goes to Bronwyn's and Bronwyn sneaks him into the basement. And they agree to be together and they made out and they finished watching the horror movie all cuddled up. And he was like, here, we'll watch it on my phone because you can't be scared of anything that tiny. And they were just like, it was so cute. And then they kiss in the cafeteria when Cooper gets outed and, like, they're just outing their whole relationship, which I was here for. I loved them. And then fucking Nate has to go and be a dick after he's arrested and be like, you're better off without me and I hope she forgets me and, like, I really like her but she doesn't need this baggage in her life and so she needs to forget me and I'm not gonna talk to her and I'm gonna hope she's moving on. Like, fuck this self-deprecating better off without me I know what's best for you bullshit. Like, I hate it. It happens in every single fucking romance novel, and it's the cause of so much stress and anxiety for the characters. And, like, if you would just have a fucking conversation, and you'd be like, hey, I have an inadequacy complex, and I feel like I'm not good enough for you. And she's like, hey, I get to decide what's good enough for me, and you are good enough for me, and I'm going to spend this relationship getting you to realize that you are good enough, and, like go to therapy and work out your issues or something like if they would just have a fucking conversation it would not be that hard but they can't have conversations and they just sit and stew and i hate it because then nate gets out and bronwyn's there and she's all happy and he's happy that he fucking disappointed her and then fucking breaks up with her back at his house like no i was so mad she fed your fucking lizard for you when you were in juvie like she's a keeper what the fuck are you doing like i was so fucking pissed at him because then we go to the epilogue and bronwyn's kind of seeing mathlete guy And I was pissed, and I was like, what the hell? But then she was like, oh, I didn't even think to invite him to my recital. And Nate shows up at her recital and invites her to Allegiant. And, like, it was really cute, and I loved it. And I was sad that we didn't get to see, like, the date and their actual, like, reconnection. But it was, like, very strongly implied that they were going to be, like, together again. So I guess I can appreciate that. Um, And, like, honestly, I thought I was here for murder mystery stuff, and I, like wasn't expecting romance at all and turns out I was actually here for romance and I loved their love story and it was amazing and like my favorite part of this book okay now we're going to move on to Nate who's such a cliche literally all the main characters are cliches right like Bronwyn's a cliche nerd Nate's a cliche bad boy Cooper's the cliche athlete Addie's the cliche like pretty girl right Um, but Nate is a cliche because he's the criminal drug dealer who only does it because it's a noble cause and he needs money because his dad is a fucking alcoholic who sits there and drinks away his disability checks and he's actually, like, way more observant than you give him credit for, but he does drive a motorcycle and, like, he's such a fucking cliche, but it's okay because we love him and we love him and Bronwyn and, like, ugh love them i can't get over how cute they are they're so cute oh my god um and then 
like all the shit with Nate's mom was a lot and I hated that he struggled with it but obviously like it's gonna be weird if you thought your mom was like dead or if you thought your mom was never coming back and then she just shows back up right like there's already a lot of stress going on in his life obviously this is gonna be hard but I did appreciate that like at the end we saw that like his mom was sticking around and his dad was giving it a try at rehab and like he was getting some sense of like family and protection normalcy back which I appreciated and also about Nate I love him and his probation officer like their dynamic is so funny and I love that his probation officer actually looks out for him and cares about him and tries to get him to like write his life and stuff and it's great now moving on to Cooper who again the cliche southern athlete who's Mr. Popular and kind of has a god complex about it which like okay here's the deal I understand if you're going to play in college and especially like at a top school, there are reasons to like have a God complex a little bit, not entirely like athletes are not gods, but like it's not like he's just, you know, playing baseball at like a small school and he's never going to go play in college and he has a God complex because school sports is the only thing that happens in that tiny ass town, right? Like he's kind of like valid in having it, but Like, high school athletes with god complexes are the bane of my existence, and I fucking hate it. So, like, I hated that he was, like, that athlete, you know? Um, and then we do see him get approached by the Padre Scout, which was kind of fun. Um, but, you know, go to college, kids. Like, pro athletes will be there when you are out of college, so go to college first. Um, and then I feel bad... This is another cliche that he is a fucking asshole dad, but I feel bad that his dad's a fucking asshole because he freaking makes him right, right-handed because he's a southpaw, and so he shouldn't be using his left hand for anything other than pitching, which, like, no. Like, no. That is not how it works. Like, I have a friend, a family friend, who's a pitcher who's, like, pretty decent. He's committed to go to Notre Dame. And he's right-handed, and he writes with his right hand, and it's not a big freaking deal. I don't know where this came from, but his dad is a fucking asshole, and, like, who thinks of this shit, you know? Like, I mean, okay, this is also his dad who wanted his big jump to be a surprise, so he underperformed his junior year to then make his big jump seem much better, which then only made him seem like he was taking performance-enhancing drugs. So, like, his dad's fucking whacked out and doesn't actually know how to coach his son. That's what I'm convinced of, because, like, you thought it would be a good idea, but now everybody thinks your son is on steroids. So, like, what the fuck, you know? Um, and his dad calls him fucking Cooperstown after the Baseball Hall of Fame, which, like, imagine the kind of pressure you put on that kid, right? Like, from a little kid, he's expected to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, essentially, is what his dad is saying. Like, fuck off. I literally hate his dad so much. It's, no. Um, and his dad is, like, to top it all off, you know, on top of being, like, a tiger parent and being a monster and fucking making him right with his right hand, uh, when... Cooper comes out to his family, which, like, fuck the way he got outed by the police finding the statement and stuff. That was a fucking mess, and I hated it so much, and Cooper did not deserve that. But his dad is like, oh, you're joking, right? Like, about being gay? Like, no. Nobody jokes about that. Like, that's not... No. 
like, why can't you just accept your son? And, like, I fucking love his grandmother because you would think, right, like, his family's from the South, so you would think, like, grandparents would be, like, the stiff Southern grandparents who are, like, Republicans, gun-toting, like, all those stereotypes, and his grandmother is not, and so I fucking love his grandmother, and I love that his grandmother's like, oh, I could have given your dad all the money to buy this stupid house, but I didn't, so, like, I have money saved up that you can have and stuff. Like, I love his grandmother, and I love his grandmother for supporting him and stuff, and, like, his grandmother's like, oh when your girlfriend texts you like you're just like eh and then when somebody else texts you your face lights up so like go after that person like his grandmother is the best and his dad fucking sucks but I do love Cooper and Chris and like I felt bad for his girlfriend obviously right like nobody deserves that but it's a tough spot to be in and I was glad that he like had a conversation with her and stuff and like I feel like if that happened to me, I would, like, understand, right? Like, I mean, it would suck. I wasted a lot of my life with somebody, but I would at least know that they care about me as a person type of thing, and, like, I could get over that, right? Like, I mean, it's... Being cheated on is not great, obviously, but, like, I don't know. It's, like, a tough spot, so I just... I feel bad for everybody in it. Anyways, moving on. Um... Cooper and Chris were so cute and like the way Cooper kept going to his house when he didn't know what to do and then he took him to the murder club meeting and then kissed him in the coffee shop and like they were just so amazing and I fucking loved them and then I loved in the very end I was very happy Cooper decided not to join the graft and went to San Diego State um which for those of you who are not in California Cal State in San Diego is San Diego State University, SDSU, so, SDSU, um, and I love that he was going because they were the only ones that didn't pull out when he got outed, and his dad, when he first talked about San Diego State, was like, oh, not even a top 10, but Cooper was like, no, I'm gonna go because they stuck with me when, you know, everything that happened, and, like, I love them, and, like, fuck everybody at school for giving him shit, but I love that Nate stood up for him in that day in the cafeteria, like, the same day that him and Bronwyn kissed, like, just, I love that this murder mystery, not murder mystery, murder club, like, thing became a thing, and they were, like, all friends and stuff, and, like, this experience really bonded them, like, I love them, you know, and now, finally, we're moving on to Addie, and her and Jake, is a fucking mess like even before the end where we like discover jake's like part in all of this like he's controlling he makes her change all the time if she's not wearing something he likes he makes her feel like she can never say no to him and he's just a terrible 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 person and like i fucking hated him like when she after the interrogation came down and like they were going to the beach and he's like oh why don't you go change Like, she was dressed because it was going to be cold at the beach. And, like, fuck you. You should be telling her she looks beautiful in anything, not that she needs to change. And she feels like she can't say no to you, which is not a good position to be in a relationship. If you feel like you can't say no to your partner, that's abusive, right? Like, no, I hated him so much. Like, even before we learned, like, what the fuck he was doing with Simon, like, fuck him. I hated him so much. And then, like, we see... Addie tell Jake that she cheated and he punches a wall and I was so happy and then of course you know he goes and punches TJ which kind of sucked but like everything in this book is a cliche so it's fine um and I feel really bad for Addie in her home life with her mom dating all these younger guys and constantly insisting that she needs a boy to be happy and if she wasn't with Jake she needed to get with somebody else because she would shrivel up and look undesirable and like 
fuck her mom. Like, her mom has deep-seated issues that she's trying to pass on to her kids, and it's not fair. You do not need a man to be happy. You do not need a relationship to be happy. You are not going to look undesirable because you got fucking dumped or because you cheated on somebody and they dumped. Like, no. Her mom's ideas about relationships irk me to no end, especially because I am single and have been single my entire life. And so I'm like, look, I'm thriving. I'm fine. I don't need a relationship. So like, fuck you for trying to tell your daughter that she needs a relationship and that she needs a guy to be happy and that she can't just be her own person. Like, fuck her mom so much. Um, but I love that her relationship with her sister got really good and like it started off rocky, but it got so much better. And then Addie was like, let's go on a bike ride because she forgot how much she loved riding her bike around and then she chopped off all her hair and started dyeing it fun colors and like she just became like who she was and I was very happy that Addie like got to get out of her shell and like become an actual person and like not just be attached to Jake's hip and everything and like I was so proud of Addie and then at the end her sister was like oh I got this apartment for us because I think you need to get out of mom's like roof and stuff and I was like yes this is amazing and then her sister and Eli becoming a thing was so cute and I fucking loved them and I loved when they were like at the murder club meeting at the coffee shop and they were like pimping out um Addie's sister because Eli would talk to her and stuff and like I just I loved that um and then I was kind of sad that Addie and TJ didn't become a thing because TJ seemed really sweet and like he really did seem like he saw her and he was like I like your hair and like he just he really felt like a genuinely good guy but like I understood why Addie didn't do it and there was plenty of romance in this book without them but I was kind of sad you know so that wraps up my character discussion so now we're just going to talk about the plot and like this is going to be a lot of like the murder mystery stuff so first the fact that their phones were all planted to get them into detention and then the fact that the car crash drew their attention away and later on we learned that the car crash was faked for like a profit that simon set up and reading the whole allergic reaction like simon's allergic reaction and the lack of EpiPens and like all of that shit like was a mess and was like a lot of anxiety but like you know simon's gonna die so it's like not as bad you know um and then we talked to the cops and we talked to the principal and the principal is there like with them but like the principal is not entirely vested in the protection of the minors because the principal wants to find out who did this because they would otherwise have a lawsuit on their hands with Simon's parents so they're minors and they needed their parents in that room and I was not happy um and then we see the post, which I was not expecting the post. I don't know why. And they, like, freaked me out. And they were weird. And they were such, like, they felt like A in Pretty Little Liars, you know? Like, the way they just knew everything and stuff. It was a lot. And then the police questioning Addie at her house, which, like, thank God for her sister being there and being, like, I'm not going to let you be, like, interrogated without me being present because mom's not going to do shit about it. And then whore being written on Addie's locker after it comes out that Addie slept with TJ. Which, like, seriously, who the fuck writes on lockers? Like, this is in a lot of teen books and a lot of teen movies. And I've never seen it happen or heard of it happening once in my real life. So, like, why the fuck is it still a cliche? I don't understand. And then we see Maeve hack about that at the library, which I was so proud of her. I fucking loved Maeve. Maeve was amazing. And Addie and Janae and Bronwyn start to become friends. And I was wary of Janae, but I liked Addie and Bronwyn getting closer. 
And then we see Bronwyn get confronted about her fuck off and die comment on one of Simon's posts after Simon um, outed Maeve for, like, getting super drunk at that party. And you can't use that shit as evidence of murdering capabilities, right? Like, she was, what, 14, 15, maybe 16? Like, yes, Bronwyn should know better, right? Like, you write fuck off and then you don't write die. You just write fuck off. And then you can't be like, you can't construe somebody saying fuck off to somebody like wanting to murder you somebody. But like, still, that cannot be like evidence of motive. Like, no, that's not how it works. Like, it's a comment on an online post. Like, there are so much worse comments out there and those are not evidence of terrorism or murder or whatever, right? Like, so no, I was mad at that. Um, and then Maeve continues to be amazing because she gets Leah to talk to the reporters about how terrible Simon was, and then fucking the police finding out about the post about Chris, and that's why Cooper has to come out, which really, really sucks, and I hated him, and, like, I love that Mikhail Powers got super pissed off at the police at Cooper's, like, defense because that was warranted, and, like, Mikhail Powers was, like, eh, but he kind of had a redemption arc when he started, like, going after the police and, like, protecting Cooper. I love that. And then we see the murder club meeting at midnight in the abandoned rental and, like, they're being friends, and I love that. And then, obviously, I was not okay when Nate was arrested, but we love that Bronwyn's, like, getting legal help, and we see his fucking walker and house getting set up, which I hate because if you check them the day of and they're there, nobody's going to move them back into their locker and be like, oh, they checked my locker already. Guess I can store evidence of a murder here. Like, no, obviously it's being set up. Like, fuck off. Um, and then Addie realizing that Jake wrote the Tumblr post. I was shook, but I wasn't mad because I hated Jake. And I was like, yes, I'm okay with Jake being involved in this because he is one of the characters I actually fucking hate in this book. And the other four in Murder Club, I was like, I actually like you. So I didn't want it to be them. So I was happy. And then Chris having the theory about Simon's suicide, which like I kind of had that theory knocking around in my head because I was like, it literally can't be any one of them. Like, just looking at their home likes, looking at their reaction, looking at everything, I was like, it can't be them. So that theory was like kind of on the edge of my brain and I loved when Chris pointed it out. And then we see Addie confronting Janae and her telling us everything and showing her Simon's manifesto, which like was a lot to process. And then Jake shows up and we're trying to set Jake up and Addie's text tone goes off to only girl, which, like, um, who changes their text tone, A, to, like, a song song? Like, not just, like, a different, like, sound, but, like, a full-on song. Like, that's gotta be annoying, A. B, if it had been a generic text tone, Janae could have passed it off as her phone and been, like, oh, that was my phone. Like, it's fine, whatever, I'll get it later. Um, and C, who doesn't turn their phone on silent if you're trying to set somebody fucking up? Like, think this through a little bit, Addie, you know, so that was a lot, and then, like, suddenly, we're running through the woods, and Jake tries to strangle her, and Cooper saves her, and there is a fight, and this, hear the sirens, and then everything suddenly just ends up all right, and we skip to the future, and Nate's getting out of jail, and everything's good in the end, which I appreciated that everything was good in the end, and it wasn't, like, hanging on a cliff, and then the sequel was, like, the answers to all of our questions, you know, and so, to wrap up, this book was so fun, and like I said, it's been on my TBR for so long, so I'm glad I finally read it, 
and there was like four possible romance plots three of which actually played out and there was only one murder plot so it was like a hundred percent more romance than murder mystery but as somebody who cannot survive without romance in my life i was very much so down for this and it was great and i definitely loved it and even though i don't think i'm gonna read the sequel i'm very glad i did read this book and it was great so yeah I have been Maya Ghosh, and this has been my take on One of Us is Lying by Karen M. McCanus. Thanks for listening. So we're kind of a one-woman show here at My Take, so the credits are not going to be very long. This podcast is produced and edited um, by me. I do all of my own social media. The only person I really have to thank is one of my great friends, Paris, who did the music that is in the intro and that you're listening to now. So thank you, Paris, and thank you all for listening. You can reach me at underscore my take on Twitter and Instagram. And please leave a rate or review wherever you listen to this podcast. That helps a ton. So yeah, thanks for listening.